Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. I was muted. He's right. My apologies for that. Let me start again. Good morning, everybody. A real privilege to be with you this morning. And we're starting this morning a new series looking at the book of Daniel. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be going through the whole of the book. We're a week behind already because Paul had something specific to bring us last week, but we'll sort that out. Don't worry. Now, I had an introduction worked out, but there are some specific things I feel I want to bring you from chapter one of Daniel this morning. So we're going to dive straight in. All I'll say before we start, to set the scene, we're in 605 BC with the catastrophe of all catastrophes, the fall of Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And this is unthinkable. It's as if the ravens had left the Tower of London and the apes have left the Rock of Gibraltar. The city has fallen. All God's covenant promises To you and your descendants, I give this land forever. I've chosen Mount Zion as my dwelling place. All these promises, they seem to be dashed to nothing. But you see, as scripture makes clear, as the prophets had warned, this is God's own deliberate doing. It's a judgment on his people for their wickedness, for their disobedience. And when Nebuchadnezzar took the city, he carried away the people of Judah. He carried them away into exile, into captivity in Babylon, in three stages. And as we begin the book of Daniel, chapter 1, this is stage 1 of this deportation. This is at the start, 605 BC. And we're going to hear together now, chapter 1, read to us in full. And I suggest you get a Bible or use your phone. I suggest you can really follow it through in the text because I do want you to get this story. I won't go through it all again afterwards. So get a Bible and let's listen now as Grace reads to us from Daniel, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family, and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, 
I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Wonderful. Thank you, Grace. So I want to look at one question first of all and then just draw three things out of this text that we can learn. And the question is this. Why did Daniel refuse the royal food and the wine and go for the vegetables instead? What was the point of that? You see, they've been given new names already, haven't they? They've been given pagan names instead of their Jewish names. They've had that stripped away already, and they haven't resisted that. So why the big deal about the food? What does it mean Daniel resolved not to defile himself? Now, some people think this is to do with the Jewish dietary laws, not to offend against those laws. Other people think, well, if the food had been sacrificed to the pagan idols, maybe that was the point. I'm sure part of it is about preserving their identity. They're not going to buy into Babylonian court life and these luxuries. They're going to remember who they are. I'm sure that's part of it. But one thing I'm sure of, now this isn't stated in the text, but I'm sure it's a response to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Daniel, this is what I want you to do. You see, God's in it. He's prepared the official's heart already to be soft towards Daniel. He gives Daniel the wise way to approach him, to say, test us for ten days. And then he blesses them through the vegetables instead of the royal food. Because you see, it's clearly presented in the text as a surprise that they look so healthy compared to the others. It shouldn't have been this way. It's not just that Daniel had signed up for dry January and veganuary all in one combined and this is the result. It's not just that. God has prompted Daniel. God has showed him the way to do it and God has now blessed him in it. Now that's great. But you might ask, what is going on here? What's this big deal about eating the vegetables? It's pretty trivial, isn't it? It's a trivial thing. Whatever his reasons were for taking this stand, it doesn't change anything, does it? It's a victory, but it's a pretty small one. What's it all about? So here's the first thing I want to say from this chapter, the first of three things. There's not much indication in the text, but I guess it must have been very hard for Daniel and the others to be in Babylon. They must have had to march there on foot, from Jerusalem when they were captured. 
that's about 500 miles. 500 miles in the heat, thinking every mile, what on earth has happened? Jerusalem, the holy city, in enemy hands. How can this possibly be? Where on earth is God? How could he have allowed this to happen? Then they get there and, okay, it seems they're treated fairly well. But you imagine waking up every morning. You know those, those first moments when your thoughts start to come together as you stir. Oh, where am I? What's all this? Oh, oh yes, I remember. It's not all a dream. We're really here. We're here in Babylon. And you can imagine the, oh, in their spirit. Every morning at that point, yep, it's another day. Another day in Babylon, far from home. Far from hope, except for the vegetables. You see, the vegetables are God's whisper to Daniel. See, Daniel, I'm still here. You haven't left me behind in Jerusalem. I haven't done a runner. I'm still here, still with you. Don't give up, Daniel. I'm here. I'm in charge. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. I know it looks grim, Daniel, but I'm still God. Put your hope in me because of the vegetables. You see, the vegetables, that's God's encouragement, his shaft of light through the gloom. God's still with us. There's hope. Now, that's wonderful. But they are still in Babylon. They may now know that in some inexplicable way, God is still with them. But they still have to get up every morning. They still have to walk the Babylonian road. It's still hard. Some of you may have got a newsletter last week from Anna Kalabala. Now, Anna is a truly wonderful lady who was part of this church and who married Tim, a Ugandan. And she's been in Uganda. They've been together there for many years now, serving with a charity, Every Life, among the poorest of the poor in Uganda and sharing with them in practical and spiritual ways the love of Jesus. Now, among Anna's many wonderful qualities is that she is very honest and very genuine. She doesn't pretend and she broke her ankle back in November, which has made life pretty tough. But this is what she wrote in her newsletter. God has shown his goodness and faithfulness in so many ways that I often overlook or forget. For example, when I broke my ankle, we didn't know where to go for treatment. The normal hospitals I trust didn't have x-ray availability at the time, so we were stuck. God planted the idea of a local hospital into my head that I'd never visited before, but I felt total peace about going. It turns out there was an orthopaedic surgeon on duty that night who's a well-known and respected surgeon who works from all the main referral hospitals, and he had a clinic at that hospital once a week, and amazingly, that was the night that I fell. God also spoke clearly to me, and he showed me He's in charge. He's in control of my healing. It'll be slower than I want, but I should trust that he has marked out the road of healing ahead for me. I have to admit, it has been hard to trust at times. When I freak out that I've got deep vein thrombosis or that after a fall my bone has become unaligned. He's been so faithful to his word even when I have not I'm now walking with the aid of crutches. I'm putting partial weight on that foot with no pain. And every day I'm able to do more and more. It's been a difficult and challenging path, especially having to depend on others so much for everyday tasks. But I am reminded that hard isn't necessarily bad. And that to some extent, choosing Jesus 
means we're choosing to walk a hard path, but to walk it with grace and joy. Now you see, that's just like Daniel. God whispered to Anna about where to go, which hospital. God gave her peace. God provided unlikely help in an amazing way in the form of that surgeon. Those were Anna's vegetables, if you like. But God didn't take all her troubles away. She still had to walk a hard road every day, one day at a time. And as she so honestly says, she has sometimes found it very tough. But I love what she says at the end. I'm reminded that hard isn't necessarily bad. And that to some extent, choosing Jesus means we're choosing to walk a hard path, but to walk it with grace and joy. Peter writes in his first letter, chapter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. You hear that? Don't be surprised. Suffering is nothing strange. It's normal life. And it's definitely normal Christian life. And I think Anna's experience and Daniel's experience isn't strange. I think it's absolutely normal. And many of you will identify with it, that God helps us. He speaks to us. He encourages us when we're finding things hard in whatever way. And that's wonderful. But then we have to cling to that encouragement. We have to press into him. And we have to trust him every day as we continue to walk a path which is still hard. And we may be tempted to ask, and sometimes we do ask, Lord, what's going on? If you can do that, if you can help me with that bit, why don't you do this bit as well? Why don't you go all the way and sort it out completely rather than leaving me still to struggle? But Peter would say, why are you surprised? This isn't strange, this is normal. And he's right. Not that it's normal to be like that all the time, but certainly it is some of the time. And the road you're walking right now might be hard. It might be hard for any number of reasons, but of course, COVID is one. And for many of us, the fallout from COVID is just that right now. It's a long road and it's a hard road and we've had enough of it. But God hasn't taken it away, at least not yet. So how do we respond? How do we cope? Well, the same way Daniel did. The same way Anna did when she says, I'm reminded that hard isn't necessarily bad. Rather than fighting it, rather than denying it and crying out, why and not fair and take it away, the answer is to accept it. For now, this is our reality. And then to press into God and to find in him the strength to persevere through it and even to get the good out of it. Because you see, it's true as the poet wrote, into each life some rain must fall. And it's also true as the song says that I'm never going to stop the rain by complaining. So we need a different strategy, you see. And that's what Paul gave us last week. Paul said if this is a manure year, and you could use another word, but if this is a year when whatever else he's doing, God is applying that manure to the tree, a year to fertilise for growth and for life in the seasons ahead, then as Paul said last week, we need to do two things. We need to embrace this slow work of God and we need to seek him and his love at every opportunity. 
Because as Anna said, hard isn't necessarily bad. And if we're walking a hard road within the will of God, then as we press into him, he will encourage us. As he did Daniel, as he did Anna, we too will have our own vegetables. He may not take the tough road away and give us an easier one instead, but if we draw near to him and take hold of him with all we've got, then he will draw near to us and he will give us the strength to walk the path before us and he will even use it for good in our lives and for the future. And I never thought I would say these words as a form of encouragement but as we press into God, there will be vegetables. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to say from this chapter is this. God is watching over your life. Because as well as the story of the vegetables, you see, the text shows us God quite specifically at work on two occasions. Firstly, it says in verse 9 that God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Now, that must have been very welcome. But Daniel wouldn't have known that it was the hand of God. He wouldn't have seen that. Then in verse 17, it says that to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. God gave it. Again, this is the quiet, unseen background work of God that may not have been obvious to the four young men. But it was God all the same. And here's the point, you see, God is watching over their lives. God is helping them. He's providing for them. He's enabling them. But it's not obvious. This is a far cry, you see, from the power encounters that follow in the next few chapters of the book. But it's just as real. It's just as much God. And, you know, as I read this chapter, it just seems to me there's a sense all the way through of God hovering over everything that's going on. God watching from a discreet distance, if you like, but seeing everything. God intervening when he needs to, to advance his purposes, but in subtle, almost undetectable ways. You see, the training in the king's service still lasted three years. There were no shortcuts. And to be living in Babylon, in this foreign culture, with its pagan gods having to study and learn the Babylonian language and literature at the University of Babylon, knowing that as far as they were concerned, home and family were gone forever. All of that was still true. And yet, God was watching over them, knowing exactly what he was doing and why, training and preparing them for what was ahead. And as we read the book, you'll see there certainly were amazing things ahead. Now, when we read Daniel chapter 1, we see things largely from Daniel's perspective, don't we? But if we read Jeremiah 24, we see things from God's perspective. And we read some extraordinary words. God shows Jeremiah a vision of two baskets of figs. And he asks him, Jeremiah, what do you see? Figs, Jeremiah answers. The good ones are very good, but the poor ones are so bad they can't be eaten. And then God says to him, like those good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up, not tear them down. I'll plant them and not uproot them. I'll give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be their 
my people, I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. And you think, hang on, the exiles in Babylon, they're there, that's God's judgment on Judah, it's their punishment for disobedience. Surely they're the bad figs. But no, God says, the bad figs are those who are left in Jerusalem. Those who are in exile are the good figs. I have these wonderful plans for them. They're the ones I'm going to work with and my eyes will watch over them for their good every day of their exile. So even though they're in a hard place as a punishment, still God is tender towards them. Still he has wonderful plans for them. Still he's watching over them for their good. And if you're finding this road hard that you're on right now, And unlike the exiles in Babylon, you're not on it because of God's judgment. But if you're finding it hard going, then I promise you, because his word says so, that God is also watching over your life for your good. As you travel on this hard road one day at a time, I can tell you, God is watching over you. He misses nothing. He sees everything. Just because you don't see him doesn't mean he doesn't see you. He's watching over you every day, both for that day itself and for the future plans he has for you and for all of us. The most well-known verse in all of Jeremiah is probably chapter 29, verse 11, a verse we love to quote. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, this here is the context for that verse. Right here in Babylon, Jeremiah is writing from Jerusalem to the exiles. It's only a few years after Daniel chapter 1. Right here at the darkest time in Judah's history, God knows the plans he has for them. He's watching over them to fulfill them. And in due course, he does just that. He's actively on their case. And in just the same way, God is watching over your life and your hard road right now, both for today and for tomorrow. He's there. And as you press into him, there will be times of encouragement, as there were for Daniel. You can be sure of that. But there may also be long stretches where God is unseen. You can bet there were for Daniel, especially in those first three long years. But all that time, the vegetables would have been a daily reminder every lunchtime of God's encouragement. Ah, yes, I remember. We're not having the royal food like all the others. We're having the vegetables because God is with us. We're still the people of God. Even though we don't see him, he's here. He's watching over us. I remember. Now, I don't know what God has said to you or how he's met with you or how he's helped and encouraged you this last year. But whatever it might be, treasure it. Hang on to it tight. Use it as a daily reminder like the vegetables. God is with me. He's watching over you every day. That's the many days when he may be unseen as well as those days when he gives you a whisper, a touch of his presence, his hand on your circumstances. Because the truth is this, you see, never once will you ever walk alone. Now the third thing I want to say touches on the whole great theme of the whole book of Daniel, which we will certainly come back to over this series, and it's the sovereignty of God. There is a declaration that comes three times later on in the book. 
that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men. Now, the word sovereign, you look it up in the dictionary, it means possessing supreme and ultimate power. It means that God rules the nations. He's totally, effortlessly, absolutely in control of everything that goes on on planet Earth. He sent his people into exile. He will bring them back again. And he is watching over them at all points in between. But more than that, in the story of Daniel, as well as his purposes for his people, he has other sovereign purposes as well. Amazingly, as well as judging his people, he sent them into Babylon for another reason too. To bless that city, these pagans. In Jeremiah 29, that same chapter, he tells his people, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And we see as the book unfolds, the kindness of God to Nebuchadnezzar as he reveals himself to that pagan king. It's astonishing. Who could possibly have guessed that this was on God's heart? As Paul writes in Romans eleven thirty three, oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You cannot begin to imagine how great his purposes are as he sovereignly works out his will among the nations. You could never guess at some of the things he's deliberately doing in the most unlikely ways at any one time. But even more, it's not just his people, Judah. It's not just the nation of Babylon where he's sovereignly at work either. It's equally in the lives of individuals like you and me. As Daniel tells King Belshazzar in chapter 5, he holds in his hands your life and all your ways. So it's not just with global and national affairs. It's true with your life as well. It's not just true of his people as a nation in exile. It's true of Daniel personally as well. And in our day, it's not just COVID he rules over, and he most certainly does, but it's your home and your family and your life and your job and how COVID affects you as well. Now, you may not understand it. You may not like it, some of the things that are going on and that happen to you. Daniel certainly didn't like Babylon, at least not in chapter 1. Yet we read in the last verse of this chapter, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's over 65 years later. That's his whole adult life. That was God's plan for Daniel's life. It wasn't Daniel's choice. And yet I'm certain that by the end of it, after chapter 2 and chapter 4, which we'll come on to, and after the lion's den in chapter 5, Daniel would have said at the end, Despite all that he'd gone through, he'd have said, I wouldn't have swapped it for anything. The Lord has done great things for me. I am the Lord's servant. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I don't want to be glib this morning. Your life might be really tough right now in ways that I couldn't imagine the half of. It might be COVID-related. It might be the isolation, the loneliness, or being cooped up in a small flat with young children, juggling a job and schooling as well as all the other stuff of life. It might be your own health issues or incredible job pressures or the lack of a job or financial worries. It might be your family situation, your singleness maybe, or your children or trying to care for aged parents. But whatever it is, you might say, 
Yes, I know God is sovereign. I understand he rules over the nations. He's in control. But how does that help me with the daily struggles of my life? Whatever he's doing about COVID, he might have some great purpose or not. I don't know. I don't even care about that, frankly. I'm just trying to cope each day with what's on my plate. How does it help me to know he's sovereign? Well, because God's sovereignty, as we see it here at the start of the book of Daniel, as we see it unfold in the book, it means two things. It means he's in charge of the big stuff on the great stage of history, but he's also equally in charge of the little stuff. That's you and me and our little but important lives. He holds both in his hands, and the two are not in conflict. Your hard path right now, it's not an unfortunate byproduct, a side effect of some bigger plan. The struggles of your life are not just collateral damage, a regrettable price that has to be paid for God's big plans. No, with God, it's not a case of either or he's not limited. He can work effortlessly on both levels at once. You see, he's working in chapter one, in the affairs of the nations and in the life of Daniel. And he's working in both for good, even though Daniel would never have chosen to go anywhere near Babylon. And whatever he's doing through COVID and through Brexit and the economy, whatever he's doing in our nation in the face of the godless culture that's around us, or across the world, whether he's shaking the nations in warning or in judgment, or whether it's all part of his plan to bring millions to salvation into his kingdom. I don't know. I couldn't guess any more than Daniel could have guessed. But I do know this, that his plans take care of all of that, and they also take care of you too. So I guess what I'm saying is this. Wherever you find yourself today, however you got there, if he is Lord of your life, if you have placed your life into his hands, then your situation is not simply the product of random forces. He is involved in it. More than that, he's in charge of it. And his call to you today, as you wake up, as you remember yet again all the soul-crushing challenges that lie in front of you, his call to you is not to pull the duvet back over your head and say to life, go away. No, he calls you to look at those challenges full on, to take stock of them, and then to look to him. And he says to you, my son, my daughter, this is the path I'm calling you to walk one day at a time. It starts from here. If he is sovereign, then it means the path you have to walk is not outside of his blessing and his grace. It means he's bigger than the challenges you face. It means that once you commit your way to him, he'll be at work in the middle of the pain and the mess if he's not already. And it means that as soon as you embrace this hard path that he calls you to walk, then at that point it will become true that he has plans in it for your good all along. You see, if he's calling you to walk this way that's in front of you, this Babylon in your life that you cannot avoid anyway, but he's calling you to walk it with him, trusting him, acknowledging him, trusting yourself to him, seeing it as his call to you, then you will find, as Daniel found, that actually he is with you in it all the time and with plans for good that you could not possibly have imagined. And you will find that whatever your situation, whatever your walk, it is possible.
because it's he that's calling you to embrace it. And because he's with you in it and he is greater than all. That's why the sovereignty of God makes all the difference in the world to you and to me. And I was tempted to soft pedal on this because it seemed too hard a thing to bring. But I felt the prompting of God again this morning. There are some of you who need to know that this is what God is saying to you. This is me, God says. It's me who's asking you to walk this hard path that's in front of you. I'm calling you to embrace it as from me. To dignify this trial because I am with you in it. He may not have sent it, but we don't need to go into that this morning. What matters is that he's beckoning to you. He says to you, come on, my child, take my hand. Let's walk through this Babylon together. And the road may be hard. It may be painful. Well, okay, Jesus never said discipleship would be easy. And if I don't understand it, the path I have to walk, well, so what? His ways are higher than mine, and I submit to him, and I declare that he is the one who is reigning over my life, and I trust his goodness whether I understand it or not. Just like Daniel. That's the call. And he's given us the example of Daniel in his word to encourage us and to help us to do just that. But the one thing we do know for certain, as we tread the path he sets before us, is that we will never, ever walk it alone. And when we commit to that path ahead, whatever it might be, he promises he will walk it with us. I am the Lord who takes hold of your right hand and who will help you. And we will see more of that as the book of Daniel unfolds in the coming weeks. So I leave you this morning with these three lessons that we can learn from Daniel chapter 1. First, The walk may be hard, but if you press into God, he will give you along the way all the encouragement that you need to keep going. He will give you vegetables. Secondly, God is watching over your life every second of every day, even if he's often unseen. And the plans he has as he works in your life are always for good. And thirdly, he is sovereign over your life. Whatever the situation you're in, if you commit to walk with him, then he will walk with you. And he will work in your unlikely situation, things you could never have imagined, because he is truly Lord of all. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it reveals you and your love, and your Father's heart to us. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us, meet us where we are, that you'd expand our thinking, that we might see beyond ourselves and our situations, that we might leave room in our thinking for you, for you to come, for you to speak. Father, we pray you give us wisdom from above, that we might know your hand at work, in the world around us, and also in our lives. Father, we pray by your Spirit, you would give us revelation to see the truth, to know the truth deep in our hearts, that you are with us, that you're with us all the way, however hard the road, and that all your ways are good.
We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.